now. <laughs> They're way ahead of me. That, that's not unusual. <laughs> We're going to turn then to Matthew this morning, Matthew 21, and look at the first 11 verses. And when they approached Jerusalem, they had come to Bethphage and to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. He brought the donkey and the colt and laid them on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When they had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. We are all familiar with the Palm Sunday events. Matthew sums them up for us quite succinctly here. Jesus coming from Bethany by way of Bethphage, makes his way down that mountainside. Uh, if, if you've ever, We had the privilege years ago of, of visiting that area, and we did the Palm Sunday walk. We, we actually walked from Bethany down into the city of Jerusalem. It's a little over a mile walk, so it's not that hard of a walk but followed the same route that, that Jesus probably followed as he made his way in, into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry, the time when Jesus presented himself as king, as the Messiah. The crowds welcomed him as such. And yet, do you ever wonder why we refer to it as the triumphal entry when he was about to go to the cross? The crowd welcomed him that day, but just a few short days later, many in Jerusalem were crying out, crucify him. We, we don't want this man to rule over us. We, we want nothing to do with this man. So how does it work out that it's a triumphal entry? Matthew quotes from two Old Testament passages. He quotes, first of all, from Isaiah chapter 62. And I'm just going to read the Old Testament passages to get them fixed in our mind before we, we jump into our message here. Isaiah 62, verse 11, he says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the, to the ends of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they will call him them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. And then Zechariah gives us these words in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and and 10, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off. He will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea, 
and from the river to the ends of the earth there. As we read those two prophetic sections, we're struck with the fact it didn't quite happen the way it said it did, did it? And yet, it's not fulfilled. There was a double fulfillment going on there. He, is, he came and he presented himself as the Messiah. The fact of the matter is he is coming again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so it, it will ultimately be fulfilled. Uh, the, the problem that we wrestle with when we think of that is the same problem that the prophets wrestled with in First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 there. Uh, Peter said, you know, they couldn't put together in their thinking the glories that were to come with the suffering of the Messiah. How, how, how did those two relate together? And, and they had a difficult time wrestling with that. But the fact of the matter is, the king is coming again. The Gaithers gave us that song, that the, the king is coming. Uh, I've debated for years where that fits theologically. I, I, I don't fully agree with all of the, the theology that, that the Gaithers have in, in some of their music there. But the fact of the matter is the king is coming. And he, he will bring his salvation with him there. But as we look at these two events, we've got two major points here. First is the conquering savior and then the coming king. We're going to look at the conquering savior first of all. Notice that both Isaiah and Zacharias, as they wrote, spoke of the fact that he came as a savior. He was coming as, as a savior into this world. Now, the obvious question is, did the world understand that? I don't think so. The, the multitudes, they, they joined into the excitement of the occasion. But when the implications of it began to sink in, they turned their back on him. They, they didn't fully understand why he came. They were looking for a political messiah, someone that would free them from the bondage of Rome, someone that would restore to them the glories of the, the kingdom of David and of Solomon and so forth. And when he failed to, to do that, they, they were finished with him there. What, and yet, you have to wonder, what good would a political solution do if there were no change of heart, if there was no salvation provided for us today? And I, I don't usually get political and Sunday morning, but um, I wonder, do we do the same thing today? Do we look for salvation through the political process? If only this party was elected or this man was in the office, uh, I hate to disillusion anybody, but unless we have a revival, we don't have much hope for America. It, it comes back to the fact that we really need a change of heart. Not necessarily a change of those who are in office, although that might be good for some of them, but, and I'm not going to tell you which ones, <laughs> but uh, you, that, that's not going to solve anything unless the Spirit of God begins to change hearts and lives. And that's what was uppermost in Christ's mind as he came that, that first time as the conquering Savior. He wasn't as concerned about the political situation as he was about the need of the heart. And so he came bringing salvation, first of all, from sin. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, in, uh, in verse 1, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. In Romans chapter 3, he says, For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. So that includes all of us. We were all dead in our sins. And because Christ came and went to the cross, we no longer have to be dead in our trespasses and sin. We no longer have to serve sin today. He has come to set us free, to save us from our sin. Psalm 103 in verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgression from us. We can rejoice in that fact today. I, I was rejoicing in another fact yesterday. I, I, this isn't on your notes, but Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 speaks of the fact that though your sin be as scarlet, shall be what? White as snow. Did you think of that when you saw that beautiful snowfall yesterday? It's not, not snowing now, so we can't look out the window and enjoy it right now. <laughs> I, I, I was standing at the kitchen window, and, and it was just... It was beautiful. It was fantastic. Those huge flakes coming down, and they were just swirling around in the air. Uh, as I talked about it, my wife said I was getting poetic there. I, I, I don't claim that. But, you know, as I looked at that and all of those flakes coming down, I thought, what a picture of the blessing of God. Now, I know some of you didn't see that as the blessing of God, <laughs> and that, that's okay. But... I wonder how many blessings, uh, you know, I couldn't begin to count the flakes that were coming down, but I wonder how many blessings we enjoyed this week that we never even stopped to give thanks for. He has blessed us in so many ways. And the greatest, perhaps, of those blessings is the fact he has chosen to forgive our sin. As the old song chorus goes, gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone, buried in the depths of the deepest sea. And he goes on to to praise the Lord for that fact. He came to save us from our sin. And so in that sense, it was a triumphal entry. Now, that's not automatic. Uh, If we want that salvation from sin, we have to ask him for it. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The possibility is there. But we have to be willing to accept it. We have to be willing to ask him for that salvation. He also came to deliver us or, or bring salvation from Satan himself. Again, back in Ephesians chapter 2, after he reveals the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he said, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That Bondage to Satan began in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve chose to become masters of Satan, they they chose to reject God, they chose to eat of the fruit, they were under bondage to Satan himself. Uh, Sin has a way of doing that, of enslaving us. And yet, praise the Lord, Satan's very hold, his very right upon us, was destroyed on the cross of Calvary. In Colossians chapter 2, In uh, verse 13, he speaks of the fact, 13 through 15 there, it says, And you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having... Do you ever marvel at that phrase? Forgiving us what? All of them. Not not just some of them. Uh, Do you have some that you just haven't really accepted his forgiveness for? You keep mulling them over in your mind and you play that if only if only I hadn't done this or if only I hadn't said that. If he's forgiven them, they're gone. 
We, he said he's forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Notice what he's saying in that last verse there. He destroyed the hold of Satan and his right to have a hold over our lives. He he was defeated at the cross of Calvary. Now, from the world looking on, it looked like a defeat for Jesus Christ. But aren't you glad he knew exactly what he was doing? He was defeating the enemy through the cross. And he set us free from the, the hold that Satan would have in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that he isn't still active today. First Peter chapter 5 says he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he'll bring all kinds of trouble and trials into our life, but we can we can find victory over him through the work of Jesus Christ. He conquered the enemy of our soul for us. The enemy comes, John 10, to do what? To kill, to destroy, to steal. But Jesus Christ came to give us eternal life. And we can rejoice that we've been set free from the hold of Satan in our lives. He also brings us salvation today from death itself. We all face death. We all struggle with the reality that our days are numbered. And the older we get, the more we realize that, hey, time's getting short, isn't it, in this world? The psalmist says it's three score and ten. I don't like that verse. Because I've already passed three score and ten. <laughs> and yet the reality is we are all headed that direction. And yet, praise the Lord, in First Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 55, he speaks of the fact that he's removed the fear of death. He's removed the sting of death. Why? Because he has provided eternal life for us. As Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is simply to be present with the Lord. We have that glorious hope to look forward to. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 23, verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel, fear no evil. Why? Because God is with us through the struggle. Even the very death itself does not have a hold over us any longer. Years ago, I found, came across the clipping. It's the story of John Todd. He was a 19th century clergyman in, I believe, in New England is where he, he ministered. When he was six years of age, both of his parents died at the same time. He was left an orphan. A kind-hearted aunt said she would raise him, and she did that until he left home to study for the ministry. Years later, after he was involved in ministry, his aunt became deathly ill. And in her distress, she wrote to Todd and had a lot of questions about death. She said, would death mean the end of everything? Because she hoped for something beyond And here in a condensed form from his autobiography is the letter he sent in reply. He said, it's now 35 years since I, as a boy of six, was left quite alone in the world. You sent me word that you would give me a home and be a kind mother to me. I have never forgotten the day that I made the long journey to your house. I can still recall my disappointment when, instead of coming for me yourself, you sent your servant Caesar to fetch me. I remember my tears and anxiety as perched high on your horse and clinging tight to Caesar, I rode off to my new home. Night fell before we finished the journey, and I became lonely and afraid. Do you think she'll go to bed before we get there, I asked Caesar. Oh, no, he said reassuringly, she'll stay up for you. 
When we get out of these here woods, you'll see her candle shining in the window. Presently, we did ride out of the woods into the clearing, and there, sure enough, was her candle. I remember you were waiting at the door, that you put your arms close about me, a tired, bewildered little boy. You had a fire burning on the hearth, a hot supper waiting on the stove. After supper, you took me to my new room, heard me say my prayers, and then you sat beside me till I fell asleep. Someday soon, he went on to write, God will send for you to take you to a new home. Don't fear the summons, the strange journey, or the messenger of death. God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me so many years ago. At the end of the road, you will find love and a welcome awaiting, and you will be safe in God's care. To be absent from the body, Paul said, is what? To be present from the Lord. We'll be ushered in to his presence. We may not appreciate the journey, the process that he takes us through, but we're going to rejoice in the end result. We're going to be with him in eternity. He has came to save us from sin. He came not only as a conquering savior, though, but he is also the coming king. Not only is our conquering savior, but he's coming as king. Uh, he copies David here as he comes into Jerusalem. If you recall, David rode on a royal donkey when, when he was proclaimed king. Uh, so did Solomon. Matter of fact, Solomon used one of David's donkeys when, when he was first proclaimed king there. In that act there, that's not the way kings like to travel. They, they usually rode on a white stallion or, or in a chariot or, or so forth there. But I think in that we get a glimpse of his humility. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came as that, that savior for us. The next time when he comes back again, though, he's not riding on a donkey. We're not going to take time to read it this morning, but in Revelation 19, we have the, the return of Christ presented there. He comes riding on that white horse there. And in that return, he comes as the conqueror, the conquering king, the one who does away with the opposition and sets up his kingdom here on earth. And as we think of that, both Isaiah and Zechariah prophesied of that return. Now, the people in Jesus' day thought that the two of them should go together. They've been separated now for the events by almost 2,000 years. But it's just as real. It will happen because God has said so in his word. And when Christ returns, notice three things here. He brings, first of all, his reward. Isaiah 62, 11 stressed the fact that he comes with his reward. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says, God is not unjust. He is not unkind to forget your work and labor of love. Someday he will reward you for your faithfulness. Someday he will reward you for the service that you have done in his name on this earth. He rewards us not for greatness, but for faithfulness. First Corinthians chapter four says it's required of a steward that a man be found what? Faithful. As we faithfully serve him, we look forward to the day when he comes with his reward. Now I have to confess, that's one thing I do not fully understand as I read scripture. What is exactly the reward that he has for his children? I, I, I know the verses that says there's there's five different ones that speak of the crowns that we can win. Uh, what do we do with those crowns? We cast them at his feet. So uh, how is that a reward for us? 
other passages speak of the fact that if we faithfully serve, our reward is going to be what? Greater service in glory or in, in his kingdom there. Now, again, do you ever wrestle with how, how is that really a re- reward? We, we, we work hard today so that we can work harder in the next world. Uh, and yet there's a blessing in that somehow. Uh, he rewards us with talents. If we use them wisely, we get greater talents and so forth. The fact of the matter is we know so little of heaven. We, we know more of what's not there than what actually is there. And we're in for some glorious times ahead as, as, uh, as we look at what he has for us. Someone has described God trying to reveal heaven to us as uh, uh, asking a little baby that's still in the womb, what is the world like? Now, they might have, I don't know what little baby that age really understands or knows, but uh, uh, they, they couldn't imagine the glories of this world from what, where they're at. And we can't imagine the glories of heaven either. So when he says he's going to come with his reward, we can look forward and we can await eternity with that sense of joy in our hearts. If we faithfully follow him, I I think the songwriter has captured it for us in that song, it will be worth it all. We don't fully understand how or, or what or why, but it will be worth it the moment we step into glory and we see Jesus Christ face to face there. We can await eternity for the full realization of his reward. It's great when we get a measure of reward in this lifetime, but that's just a, a dim glimpse of what he has awaiting us beyond the grave there. He also comes and he brings his, what? His recompense here. He takes us back to Isaiah 62 on that, where he speaks of the fact that he's coming with his recompense. And I think of also in that connection, uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. It says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to his deeds or to what he has done there. That speaks of not just his reward, but of his recompense. What does that imply? I think his recompense is to his enemies now, to those who have rejected him, to those who have fought against him all all of their lives. You see, there's a lot of areas of life. Have you ever noticed that life isn't fair today? ever struggled with that at times? It's it's just not fair. I I mean, I I always say that when we go to Spokane and that red light turns red just as I get there, that's not fair. (laughs) I I, I should have a green light. (laughs) Why why do I have to sit there and wait? My my time's valuable. Uh, My my wife always reminds me, you know, you you need to learn some patience. (laughs) I'm going to learn it in glory. I I have to wait for that. But, you know, life is not fair today. There are a lot of wrongs that touch our lives that never get righted. There are a lot of things that happen that they should be addressed. Guess what? God will address the injustices of life. He comes with his recompense. Those that have fought against him, those that have rejected him, they will have to face the consequences of that. You ever get a little bit upset when you read Romans chapter 12 and and it says, don't seek vengeance, don't try and get even. Uh, He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. 
It's not that he's not, those situations are going to go unanswered. It's, we have to learn to put them in God's hands and say, Lord, you do what you want, how you want. And, and ultimately someday we will see that his way is best there. He comes with his recompense there. And then to sum it up, he comes with his redemption. Uh, Again, that was stressed in Isaiah 62, verse 12 there. He, he comes as a redeemer. Now, praise the Lord. We have been redeemed. We, we sometimes sing that song. I've been redeemed through, through the blood of the Lamb and so forth there. But the work of redemption, while it was paid for on the cross, it's not complete yet. I, I had a group of people that taught that uh, Christians can't sin. And they based that on Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. All things have become new. And they came up with the idea that as a Christian, you can't sin. If, if something you did something wrong, you're not responsible for it. It was the devil making you do it. And you can't take credit for the work, work of the devil and, and so forth there. I, I Maybe I shouldn't have, but some, sometimes I do things that, that aren't the nicest there. I, I, I asked one of them one day, if all things have been made new, as you're claiming here, and you're no longer, you're perfect now, what about your body? Are you, are you going to go through eternity with, with, with that body the way it is? I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm looking forward to a new body. Uh, the, the work of redemption is not complete yet in, in us. Yes, we've been redeemed from our sin. We've been set free from that. But you know what? I find I'm still living in the same old body that I had before I accepted Christ. When I read the book of Revelation, I find out there's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. And so something's yet to happen in our lives. We're going to be fully redeemed when we're with Christ in glory. Not only us, but if you read Romans 8, chapter 18, it speaks of the fact that the whole creation is groaning, travailing in pain today. Now, we have a beautiful part of the country that we live in. I, I trust you appreciate it, even with that lack of snow out there today. It's still beautiful. <laughs> uh, you, you don't have to look very far to realize God's placed us in, a, in a, a beautiful part of the world, but it groans. It's in travail. It is not what it should be. Someday it's going to be transformed when Jesus Christ returns. And what is it going to be like in that day? you got to wait till you get there. <laughs> we, we, we don't know. It'll, it'll be like I, I picture it like the Garden of Eden there. Uh, we're we're go, moving back to Eden there. God, when he finished his work of creation, do you remember what he said? It is good. Now, I, I realize we don't always say that today. Uh, some of you didn't say that yesterday. <laughs> Matter of fact, some of you probably complained to the Lord a little bit yesterday. <laughs> well, I mean, this is March. We, we, we should be moving out of the snow. But... Uh, uh, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be redeemed. It's going to be transformed. And we're going to have the privilege of enjoying it. And we're going to be transformed. We're going to be redeemed. We're going to be completely set free as well. When we think of that word redemption, I think of a missionary in West Africa. He was trying somehow to convey the meaning of the word redeemed in the Bambara language. And he asked his African assistants, how would they express that concept? What, what word would they use? How, how could he 
you know, he was trying to translate scripture when it comes to redemption. What, what word do you use there? And uh, he talked to one old man, one of his assistants, and he said, simply said to him, we say that God took our heads out. And the missionary puzzled over that. How does that explain redemption? And the man told him that many years before this, some of his ancestors had been captured by slave traders. They were taken from their village down to the seacoast, put on ships, taken across the ocean to different places. They were chained together as, as they marched through, through the jungle down, down to the, the seacoast there. Each of the prisoners had a heavy iron collar around his neck. And that marked him as a prisoner. They made it convenient to chain them together that way. As they made their way to the coast, sometimes they would pass through a village. And the chief of that village might recognize somebody. It might be a friend of his. It might be a relative. And he would go to the slave traders and offer to pay, either in gold or ivory or silver or, or some way to, to redeem that prisoner. He would make a payment. When that payment was given... His head was taken out of the iron collar. He was set free. He was free to go back to, to his home there. And, and so in a very graphic way, it pictured for them the work of redemption. Their heads were taken out, literally. And, and they became redeemed and, and set free to go back to their home again. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In a very real sense, we can say today, he took our heads out. We were in bondage. We had that iron collar of sin, of of, of Satan around us. We were his slaves. Jesus Christ came, went to the cross. He came first as the conquering Savior. He went to the cross and died for us. He's coming again as the coming king there. But he died so that we could have redemption. And so obviously as we think of Palm Sunday, the reason why he came, the crowd missed it that day. They they were looking for a political savior. He was going to set up his kingdom there. He came to save them from their sin. Have we accepted that fact? Have we accepted Jesus Christ as our savior? He said if if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But notice the condition there is if we confess our sin. Have we made that choice to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life? If you haven't, you need to do that today. Because in all honesty, none of us are getting any younger. Some of us are past that three score and ten. We're going to come face to face with the Almighty King someday. Are we ready? Have we accepted the salvation that he has held out for us? Or are you still struggling? with their sin and and with the the bondage that you're in. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then I think the message of Palm Sunday for you is, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. The King is coming. We can sing that song with confidence. He is coming. He is coming for us. and, And we can rejoice in that fact today. So as you think of Palm Sunday, first of all, make sure... You're ready for that king. You've accepted Christ as your personal savior. You've accepted the conquering savior, that he is Lord and savior of your life. And then you can rejoice and look forward to what he has for you in eternity. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the events that took place so long ago, what we call today Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Thank you for what you did for us that day, the redemption, the salvation that you brought to us. Thank you that you have set us free from the bondage of sin and Satan today and death itself. Thank you that someday you're coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we're going to be there with you. And we thank you for that fact in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think a fitting song for that is, I stand amazed. I trust you find that amazing today.